the first law of Ivanova's hair. Doesn't make any sense. Do the IMDb corner because oh, we're going to Do you know what it's like when telepaths make love? You and I being of firm New England stock understand yeah. what it means to be emotionally bound up. This might be my adult brain. Look at you being all judgy. Don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years. I generally want uh, less Jack the Ripper. I should probably just cut all of this. The dutiful master of horse. Brain, brain, what is brain? Oh, I'm sorry. Suck it, DS9. I'm full of tiny vorlons. Cougar for Cocoa Puffs. Don't step to me with Bionic Bigfoot, man. I think I've had enough of you. I shall sail into the west and remain Garibaldi. What's she gonna look like with a chimney on her? Episode 98, Day of the Dead, in which the dead come back to visit the living and zooty zoot zoot. Coming to you live from Brakiri Prime, where everyone is spending the afternoon and evening... This is the name of the pod, the Babylon 5 podcast, where we discuss the ongoing cultural legacy of the 1990 science fiction television program, Babylon 5. I am John Cassie, and I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend and co-host. Zooty zoot zoot. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rebo, Rebo, Rebo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, a strange, a strange little episode, this, was, this one, this isn't was it? weird, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, yeah. Um, it very, uh, you know, not stunt casty, but it felt stunty. Yeah, um, <laughs> right, right. In, you know, in, in, in a place where if this were any other show in any other circumstance, I would say that, oh, this was this was trying to squeak out a little more in the ratings. Right. Um, you know, you've got a very popular you know, within genre realms, certainly at the time, I don't think I don't think he was known more uh, beyond that, uh, Neil Gaiman writing this episode, you've got Penn and Teller guesting in this episode. Right. You know, this all screams of like, you know, sweeps. Right, November sweeps. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, maybe TNT said, hey, can we do something special for sweeps? But I, you know, I, I don't even, I didn't even look to see when this aired. Let's, uh, March let's have a... 11, 1998. I yeah, don't think no. March is a sweeps month. No, it's not. So much like everything else in the production November, of this show, it, February, it defies uh, convention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it, a, it's a weird little bird, this yeah. episode, you know, in part, I don't know, part of what makes it weird, I suppose, is that we've gone, you know, five dozen episodes written all by JMS. Mm-hmm. And so to have anyone put words in the mouths of any character, it just feels a little strange, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think Gaiman got the tone of the characters. Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't think there was, there wasn't anything that, uh, that, that jumped out at me to say, oh, that's not really, you know, this character's really acting very differently here. So yeah, it, it fits in seamlessly. Um, it's a very character-driven episode. You know, there's yep. there's not, you know, not galactic shaking consequences on the line here. Um, it's just kind of you know, taking a deeper dive into a handful of uh, of our characters. Right. I think that I liked his Morden. Yeah, a little better than I like JMS's Morden. Um, he seems somehow to understand that character. Yeah, in an interesting way. Um, 
I don't know. It, you, yeah. you know, what do you think? No, I, I, I liked it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the distinction and I'm really, I'm sort of caught up more on his shorter haircut, uh, in this episode <laughs> where, uh, where Ed Wasser looked a lot more like Wentworth Miller. Right. Uh, and I thought his delivery right. was very Millerish too. Um, okay. You know, maybe that's what I was vibing with. Maybe, maybe, but he, he definitely seems a lot more cryptic here. Um, and, and kind of like a mysterious, um, you know, oh, I've got this knowledge, but I'm not going to share it with you necessarily. Right. I'll drib and drab things out. Whereas JMS's Morden seemed to be a little more of a blunt instrument. Yeah. Um, yeah. This Morden here felt a little more like Gaiman's um, Lucifer. Yeah. He, he felt yeah. like a, he felt a, like very much like a Gaiman character. Very much so. Yeah. 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 Uh, you would counter this kind of character in Gaiman's work over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this was true in 1998, mm-hmm. and it's even more true now. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a character piece. Mm-hmm. Not a lot goes on, but we learn a lot about uh, characters who we've wanted to learn more about. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, um, I, I think the Brakiri Day of the Dead is the A. Yes. You know, making Rebo and Zudi the B. Mm-hmm. Right? Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I keep, keep thinking about this episode, sort of wondering if there was there really no way to get it in the show earlier Hmm. than this episode Mm -hmm. right because the character work you really really need and you really want to see is the work done on Lockley right with her friend right because that really opens up a lot of critical backstory for that character it gives Tracy Scoggins an opportunity to demonstrate an acting range because mm. I thought she was great. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and, you know, to see another side of her um, much the same way that virtually every time in season one, we got uh, hard scrabble, bitter Ivanova. Mm-hmm. We got the, the contrast Ivanova, Right. Yeah, um, yeah, those and, are balanced out very well at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know that one of the things we liked best about season one was Ivanova character development content, right? Right, and right. I wouldn't be at all surprised if at the end of this season we say, well, this was Tracy Scoggins's best opportunity to develop this character, and she really nailed it, right? Right. Um but but it feels yeah. like now at episode 8 to be a, a little too a little too late yeah. in the game and therefore the episode feels a bit like a uh like a clever one-off rather than nicely mm-hmm. integrated 
with which is what it is which frankly. is what it it's is a clever right? one off yeah yeah and yeah. that's and, okay yeah right at least and, and it's we, a clever one off as opposed to a pointless one off like the like our last two or three episodes that we've talked about yeah you know and we've we've had complaints about the the slow dribbling out of Lockley's characterization yes all throughout this season um yes. and you know her Frankly, her lack of screen time. Yes. You know, it's it's clear that she's supposed to be brought in as a fairly major character, you know, as a as a as a top tier character, but she's not given the screen time of one, which is tough when you've got this kind of ensemble going on. Yes. But between the whole, what side was she on in the war, uh, and and JMS's desire to keep that very close to his chest, uh, not. Not showing her kind of softer side fits in with that. Yes. So I think if if we're going to bring this earlier to show that piece of her, then it's really a, a, a full-on reconsideration of of how this character is presented overall. Right. You, right. You, you wouldn't just move this, this episode up and still leave all of the you know, the mystery about being married to Sheridan, the, which side was she on in the war, this and that, um, you know, you'd have, if you, if you're going to get this kind of insight into who she is, then you kind of need to do away with all of this mystery stuff about who she is, right. um, which I would be completely in favor of. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would clearly be in favor of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's, that position is one I've established throughout my my portions of our mm-hmm. show, mm-hmm. Um, and I think giving this character an opportunity to open up and sort of breathe like this, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't exactly this, but it was similar enough to give the character a little a, a little room to establish herself. As yeah. a proper character, would have been, you know, would have been really good. Right. Right. And yeah. you know, again, you know, I came into this thinking, uh, this is the this is the character who I'm going to struggle with the most this season. And you know, Tracy Scoggins, I don't think she's up for it. And why on earth would you cast her? And you know, I mean, no, normally I think that they get the, these kind of casting decisions wrong. On this program, but in this case, uh, I think that she's actually pretty good. Um, so, so then we've got this a plot, um, but maybe we want to go back and look at the B first, sure, and then sort of come in. Yeah. Right. So one of the things I was, you know, I, I was concerned about is, you know. Penn and Teller. <laughs> okay, that that's th- that is a yellow card always for me, uh-huh. because their humor is not my humor. Okay, you know we we all have our own unique senses yeah. of humor. Part of this episode is about that. Yeah. I respect them, mm-hmm. right? But as comedians, as a pair. I'm not super interested. I like them as magicians. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, about the only thing Penn Jillette 
has done comedian-wise that I'm all over is the movie The Aristocrats. Which I have never seen, but oh, I, I... God. Yeah. <laughs> Priceless, uh-huh. right? Yeah, a an absolutely slamming documentary. Yeah, okay. oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's he is great. You know, he directs it. He's, you know, he's great. Um, but normally they're not really my jam. And maybe this is because I have a... You know, I have more like a Mimbari sense of humor or whatever, right? I mean, yeah. I have a very narrow kind of sense of this, right? What I find funny is not stuff that everyone else does. So uh, I was a little worried about that. And it turned out to be fine. Yeah. Right. But that's in part because they didn't have all that much to do. Right. right. Yeah. They, you know, they they come in and they do their show and, and they, you know, have dinner with, Sheridan and Delenn. Um, they've got their little bit about, you know, that they want to leave comedy, that they want to get more into, you know, politics or do something more important. And I can right. kind of see the message, the messaging that was going on there about yeah. how, oh, comedy is important and, you know, we, we need this. It's, it's an, well, we've heard that plenty of times. I don't think it was sure. anything that, you know, that was, that was breaking a lot of new ground there. Yeah, um, agreed. But yeah, they, so they don't have... They don't have much other than just kind of being in there to be clever. Right. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, I agree with you about their comedy uh, stylings. I, um, you know, I, did, you didn't come with us when, when we went to see them in Vegas. There were a bunch of I've us. I've never in, seen them live. Okay. There were, one of the times that we were out in, in Las Vegas, you know, a number of us went and saw, the, saw them perform. And, and, yeah, as you say, the, the, the magic that they did was, 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 you know, I'm a fan of stage magic. Um, same, same. Both, both, you know, up close and, uh, sort of wider, the, the big, uh, big show magic. And, um, yeah, they are so good at it and just trying to figure out, trying to, you know, what, how how they what how is that even possible? And I'm I'm watching their hands at all times, trying to see what they're, you know, what they're doing. Yep. And yep. it, uh, um, but but the banter, well, the one sided banter and the whole shtick of of Teller never speaking. I don't yeah. know. Pen would let him get a word in edgewise, even if he had a speaking <laughs> rule. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm yeah. not a, not a fan of that. And then this, the roles that they had here were very very close to their normal on stage personas, yes. but written by a non comedian. Right. You know, written by right. a British non comedian. Right. Who right. I think was trying to nail American sense of humor, and and really right. leaned hard into like the the you know, like the, um, the three stooges, uh, the, you know, Laurel and Hardy kind of, you know, kind of stuff that, um, that just isn't, you know, that doesn't, doesn't ring with me. And I don't think rings with a lot of modern audiences. So, uh, you know, I, I think there, there were a couple of steps removed from this being the kind of comedy that I, that I could really appreciate. I would, I very much would have been Lockley like, Oh, look at the time. I need to go and do a thing. <laughs> this hair isn't going to wash itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would have preferred 
the uh, the the sort of Neil Gaiman of the collaboration with Terry Pratchett, the Good Omens Neil Gaiman, right? Right, because I thought that book was ridiculously funny. Now oh, that agreed. may be, that may have been Pratchett mostly, right? Yeah, because I think some of the now that I'm a little bit more familiar with Pratchett's work, I think mm-hmm. some of the punning and the the uh, sort of ridic- ridiculous wordplay mm-hmm. might have been Pratchett and not Gaiman. I suspect but, so. You know, I mean, I I've, I've, don't think I've ever gotten a real good belly laugh out of any of Gaiman's stuff. No, mostly I find his stuff to be uh, to be intensely interesting from a world builder's perspective. Right. A lot of interesting scaffolding mm-hmm. onto which has been grafted a plot that is just fine. But not yeah. not sort of wildly innovative. Right. Right. Or characters who are um, who are interesting insofar as they reflect the scaffold. Yes. If you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, his characters and and I'm going to I'm going to out myself here as a uh as a non-fan of Gaiman's work, particularly his later stuff. Really? From from like the middle of Sandman onwards. Um Sandman's pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. So I you like, don't like the later stuff? No. But no, you like Sandman. I liked Sandman to a point. Uh-huh. There was uh-huh. a there was a point probably about a year from the end or so where I was like, all right, you know, we're just kind of, uh, you know, kind of running going in circles through the motions. here, going yeah. through the motions, kind of, you know, he's is there's a lot of oh I'm I'm doing this just for the sake of doing it, um, and that's the kind of thing that I think has continued in a lot of his works after after that point. Um, in my opinion, you know, I, I feel American Gods is very much what you were talking about. You know, it, it's, oh, look at all this wonderful world building and the characters really only exist to, to demonstrate how awesome the world I built is. Uh-huh. And there's, uh-huh. again, not much in the way of plot. Um, I feel like the, uh, you know, uh, a lot, and I have I honestly, to be to to be quite honest, I haven't read too much. I read some of there. There was some kind of Sandman, like going back to Sandman that he did. Maybe Cash was running out or something down the line. Um, but uh, no, I, I I like his. Uh, I like Neverwhere is one of my favorite books. Um, yeah, I thought Sandman when it first came out was um, was really incredibly uh, inspired. And yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, his his Miracle Man. Uh, stuff back uh, following Alan Moore was uh, was was terrific, um, but I don't know if when he started to really get on and get kind of popular, yeah. If that, I listen to me. I sound like oh, you know, REM's only good album is Murmur, um, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's that that kind of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I just I don't care for a lot of his later stuff. Interesting. Um, you know, I have, other than Sandman and Good Omens, Mm -hmm. um, I haven't, I haven't, uh, read any of his stuff, 
but I have read it by means of audiobooks, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, he, if he's reading his stuff, it's very performative, right? And sure. he has had one of our favorite actors of all time, Lenny Henry. Yes. Of BBC's um, Chef mm-hmm. and other things, but, you know, you know, gentle listeners, if you have never watched Chef, a British uh, BBC kind of program from the mid-90s set in a Michelin star restaurant in England, oh, run, don't walk. It's yeah. ridiculously funny. And um, don't confuse it with the, you know, the American film Chef from a few years ago. Uh, that is not what you want. That was a John Favreau, not that John Favreau. The, <laughs> the, the other John Favreau. Wow, layers and layers of confusion. Right, uh, right. Film. Anyway, yeah, you want the BBC uh, show. Yep. Uh, I think it was BBC. Anyway, I hope it wasn't like. I think. Oh, maybe you know, it was Sky ITV or, or one of them. Yeah. Anywho, well, it's British. Uh, yeah. So. Um, but I've listened to, uh, you know, American Gods and Coraline, Graveyard mm-hmm. Book, Ocean at the End of the Lane. Um, and when you have them performed, you know, by him, he's got such a, uh, he's got such a performative mm-hmm. way about him that, that I, I quite enjoyed them. Uh, but, but still within that framework, right? That the world building is often more compelling than the, you know, the characters within it. Yeah. Right. And in this case, he doesn't have really the capacity to create new characters. Right. right? There isn't anyone new in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he has to make do with, you know, with the characters that he that we you know that we have, and, you know, I was sort of dreading, like I'd said, I was sort of dreading this Rebo and Zudi stuff, mm. but at the end of the day, it was just fine. Yeah, um, yeah. I kind of wish they had told a Mimbari joke, right? Right. Or told a Narn joke. Yeah, we get the Mimbari joke kind of retold or half explained to us in a way that doesn't make much sense. You know, right. from from Delenn as she's, you know, trying to talk through her laughter. Uh, you know, it's kind of in the same way of the of uh, Monty Python's, you know, funniest joke ever kind of situation. Right. Uh, you know, the the the, the killing joke uh, sort of thing where you know, you can't, right. you can't hear it directly. Um, right. <laughs> But if you, <laughs> right, right, you know, right. you, you, you can get pieces of it and, and maybe only laugh yourself into a coma. Right, right. Uh, what would James so. and Candenza have to say about all this? <laughs> uh, conceptually unfilmable? Right. So seem to be what he said about most things. Right. Conceptually unfilmable, oh. exactly. Yeah. Um, wow. And if, and, if, and if Neil Gaiman hasn't crawled up his own butt, you know, to, to we just did, you, right? We just did, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, it's our show. It'll be in the it'll be in the show notes that nobody reads. I don't think that's true, actually. Really? Yeah. Oh, let us know if you read the show notes, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let us know before uh, the year of uh, the what is it? The year of the, the depends, adult, uh, adult depend undergarment. undergarment gives yeah. way to the year of glad. Yes. Yeah, we've totally lost. The three people listening. Yeah. <laughs> We're down to just, just us now. Mm. Um, so, okay. So, Rebo and Zudi, fine. Yeah. Uh, the the business with the Brakiri Day of the Dead, where by some form of space space magic. Right. Um, 
a section of the station is actually on Brakiri. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I thought that was neat. That's definitely again. That's that's a that's a game and kind of mysticism. Totally. Kind of piece. It's like oh, this this part of the station exists, you know, in in multiple places in time and space at the same yep. time. Kind yep. of. Yeah. 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 Um, I neither needed explained nor wanted explained. It simply is. It, yep. Okay. That's. that's I love really the fact need. that he has Jakar saying, "Oh, <laughs> you what? Yeah. <laughs> These." You have no idea what these Brakiri are both capable of doing mm-hmm. and are willing to do. Yeah. F this noise. I'm taking my pillow yeah. and I'm going to sit on the floor. Right. With poor Corbin. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Once again, Jakar is our Cassandra and nobody Absolutely. listens to him. Yeah. Right. But then at the end, he's he's sort of says, oh, I, you know, I kind of wish that I'd been there. Yeah, you know, I wish he you know, wasn't as bad, or at least as he, he thinks. Nothing, no real harm was done. Um, right, he would have been visited by his father, surely. Possibly. Maybe Natoth. Maybe Natoth. If Natoth is or dead, that is if Natoth, established. Yeah, I don't think that's been been confirmed one way or the yeah. other. Um, you know, may, probably some, you know, some Narn from the home world. Yeah. Um. Yeah, oh, no, I, no, no. No? No. Oh, what an opportunity missed. You know who visits Jakar? Cartagia. Cartagia. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> yeah. That would have been great. Because, because you know, now I, I spent some time trying to, you know, thinking about the logic of who visits who. Yeah, same, same. And, and which is the controlling party in that relationship? You know. Interesting. Is yeah, it, okay. You know, Londo is hoping to get the first emperor to get some sort of insight or help or or right. you know something that will you know help him along the way and he doesn't but he gets really what he i think more what he needs but doesn't know he needs that's right that's right so you know and and, and that was kind of touching you know that didn't that didn't have any big kind of revelations or ripples in the in the the Londo and Adira uh, reunion but it was uh, it was agreed. nice it was nice to see to see that but you know, is is it is it a situation of each person is visited by the spirit of, of who they need or what they need at that time, or is it the what the spirit needs? Is it right? You know, assuming assuming this is actually a the dead are coming to visit and not some sort of telepathic projection kind of hoax, you know? Right. Weird. You know, not hoax, but but it's it's projected from inside the mind of the of the recipient. Right. Um, because of co- right. comet dust or something like that. Right. Anyway, um, yeah. <clears throat> Are these visitations something that the spirit needed to be able to be laid to rest? Or is it something that the recipient needed? Um, what? Right. Li- and, and there doesn't there's not a consistent pattern across the four that we see. Uh, as far as I could tell. No, nope. They're. You know, Garibaldi and Dodger. Well, I don't think anybody needed that, but you know, God bless. No, but you know, maybe you know, maybe Dodger's spirit just needed to have that kind of you know to, to close off that that connection, that relationship with Garibaldi. He clearly yep. wasn't having any of it, um, right? Right, and you know, didn't really want to. Although at the end, I think I, I think he realized just too late 
the opportunity that he had. You know, right. again, classic game in there. You know, we'll right. we'll dangle, you know, what you really wanted in front of you and take it away just when you realize it's what you wanted. Right. Um, well, and frankly, classic Garibaldi. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In in some respects, that that red. Uh, Garibaldi's scenes, Londo's scenes, mm-hmm. both read as really authentic to to their characters. Right. To me? Yeah. Um, Which I was... found the Londo business more interesting than the Dodger business, because I yeah. think Adira's more interesting than Dodger. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. me? Yeah. Um, but they both had integrity. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Uh, I thought the Lockley stuff was among the very best, uh, you know, scenes in the in the episode. Sure, um, I'll give you. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah, agree I thought, on that. You know, really quite good. Yeah, uh, I don't quite understand Lanier and Morden. Yeah, that doesn't. I don't get it. It was interesting. Yep. Because Morden's always interesting. Right. But I don't. I don't get it. Yeah, and that was the place yeah. where my who's driving this afterlife visitation bus yes, situation yes. you know, broke down because uh, I don't I'm not sure if they ever met you know uh, so Lanier's seeking knowledge seeking wisdom right Morden I guess wants to just continue his practice of of dribbling out you know taunting with it with with little you know, hints of things and, and, and being evil. So, right. Uh, maybe that's what he wanted. He wanted to, to kind of oh, Max get off the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. Are we re- good. We're still recording. Okay. Yeah. Shield's he, he, failing. <laughs> yeah. He walked across, uh, my wife's keyboard the other day and all of a sudden her keyboard just stopped working. Oh, that's no, perfect. Don't know what he did. Not sure what he stepped on, but yeah, just no, not responding. So awesome. Um, yeah, good old Max. Yes. Say hello. Say, say hello to your fan base, Max. Nope, not at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't get the linear and and Morden stuff, and I, I didn't. I guess. I, I, I suspect that that this episode was written up before anybody told Gaiman that Linear wasn't on the show at the at the moment. Right. Um, and then kind of had to. Oh, he's just coming back for a visit. You know, kind of shoehorn him back in. Right. Um, but, yeah. And the whole thing about how he'll he'll betray the Rangers. Right. Okay, well, that's, you know, that's that's kind of interesting, you know, because the, the last person I would think would betray anybody is Lanier. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that didn't feel right to me. Yeah. Um, but his his meeting with Delenn was awkward, you know. Totally. How, are, how are things with your, you know? Oh, and you're you're still with your partner. Ugh, you know, oh yeah, ho- that holy was incel gross. Batman. That's, yeah, that you know, was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you mean Do you mean my husband? Yeah. I the president. I, my husband. You know. My husband, the president. Well, I suppose yeah. I do. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Not not good. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so, I, wh- yeah. Wh- where do you think, where do you, like, 
Which, what's your thought on, on why Morden? Well, I think why Morden, because Morden is interesting. Yeah. Right. The, the question, why, why Lanier? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have an. Yeah. Maybe it's foreshadowing something that's coming, and we'll see it how it sort of holds together. Yeah. Um. Yeah. M- maybe. Um. I mean, really, I, he's I, the I, only I, other player character <clears throat> that's that's in the Bracari sphere of influence. Right. So right. everybody else is tied up with other stuff. So. It, it, I guess it would it would make the most sense for for Morden to appear to Londo. Well, it makes the most sense for him to appear to Veer. Oh, okay, yes. Right to yes. me. Yes. Right. Of course, Veer isn't there, but he could be there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and that's hmm. who. You know, in the Lurker's Guide, the show notes. Right. Yeah. I didn't look at them yet. People asking JMS, well, why not blah, blah, blah? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I didn't write the episode. This is who hmm? Neil wanted oh. to work with. Oh, oh great. Okay. okay. Why would you choose Lanier? Why would you choose him at all for this? Yeah. Right? See, I'm the not better sure I choice... buy JMS there. I'm going to, uh-huh. I'm going to, uh, you, you're the calling shenanigans. Hostile. I'm right. calling shenanigans, yeah. Because. <laughs> You're yep. not going to have, you're not going to have an important little tidbit like, oh, you're going to betray the Anlashok dropped by a, a guest writer. You know that right. that could not have come entirely out of Gaiman's pen. That had to had to be JMS saying, okay, well, you know, you're you're having somebody come in and talk to Lanier, you know, mention that he's going to you know, that there's a betrayal in his future, right? Um, which maybe leads me to believe he suggested, oh, have him, have have Morden come in and talk to Lanier. You know, right? I it, it seems like it's it's in the service of the larger plot, and I don't know that Gaiman would just kind of stumble onto that, unguided. Uh I mean, we know he. Yeah, didn't I put think you're the, right. We know he didn't put in the the the, the Kosh lines, right? That 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 JMS said, oh, you know, put something in saying, oh, somebody named Kosh has a message for you, and then JMS wrote those lines. So, yeah, I, 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 I wonder if it was somebody else in an initial draft, and then it got changed around to linear. Yeah. Just it, specifically yeah. to convey yeah. the the future betrayal message. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, who can who yeah. can say? Unless yeah. unless we had JMS, you know, sitting down at a microphone with us, and even then, I'm not sure that he would remember or you know or or, or own or, it right <laughs> or, or, or or counter what he'd said you know 25 years ago. Right. Um, right. So yeah. Either way, it's it's an interesting and unexpected. You know, all the other ones, you, you're you're like, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now you kind of sit up a little straighter, like, what's what? going on here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think largely largely effective. Mm-hmm. Um, m- mindful that well, 
I did. I didn't think the Kosh line was particularly it's, interesting. I mean, we'll see what it yeah. is meant to come to be. But it's like, okay, it's no, it's typical Kosh stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, not no, as interesting we, as the the Pebbles, you know, cannot vote line, or or right. some of the other Kosh stuff. But it's right. yeah, it's setting yeah, stuff it's, up for. It, it's I'm sure for, for yeah. I'm sure it's it's setting us up for sleeping in light. You know, it's it's that. Yeah, has to yeah. be. Right? Yeah. Um. I um. I think a little love for Doug Leffler, the director, is probably called for here as well. Mm-hmm. He got a lot out of some of these actors that I haven't always seen other directors get. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he cut his teeth on Army of Darkness. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. That was one yeah. of his first. I'm not IMDb in corner here, but yeah, well, that was one of his first. Uh, one of his first gigs was huh. as a uh, second unit director on on Army not, of Darkness. Yeah. Not a film known for its subtlety. Uh, no. Was that what, what year was Army of Darkness? Was that before Army of Darkness? Or after 1991. Oh wow, a lot before. Okay. Yeah, he was super young. Uh, you know, yeah. he's he's only 50 now. Yep. Yeah, and that was you know he was. 22 or whatever mm-hmm. you know so the 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 weird you know the weird connections you know if i were to have my my map with red string on it on the wall here of everybody <laughs> involved in babylon 5 you know it just it makes it makes the entire industry seem so small because wasn't wasn't patricia tallman in army of darkness didn't she play Hold like please. an old witch or something like that um old place I'm I'm holding, yeah. Patricia Tallman. Yeah. Yep. She yeah. Whiz. She, yeah. She's, all it's all it's yeah. all together, it, right? It goes all the way to the top, man. Yeah. 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 So you know, you, you and you think like, oh well, you know, how did this person get involved with Babylon Five? Oh well, did such and such mention? Oh hey, I worked with this director once, and he was you know he was a, he was a you know sure, unit sure. director, and he was pretty good and. Or or does it come up kind of organically and did, you know, I mean she's not even in this episode, so who knows if she was even right. on set? But right, right, yeah, it's uh, everything just seems just seems so the Rolodexes seem so intertwined. Yeah, I mean that's how I mean that's how these yeah that's how any of these industries work, right? Right, right. You know, I'm 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 regularly made fun of by colleagues anytime I go to a conference or mm-hmm. you know whatever. Because I, I won't even make it. Well, it's like what happened to me when we were in Vegas, right? Uh-huh. Um, we're just walking through a Las Vegas hotel, and I, I hear like, "Hey, Dr. Cassie," yeah. right? It's an old student, or it's someone I used to work with, or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, this happens to me right. often enough because I'm in a very small industry. Yeah, you put yeah, a lot of interna- us in the same place. Yeah, you're not internationally known, but you're known to rock the microphone. Uh, and then I'm, and then I'm. Sh- Crap. I can't remember the line. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> That's from Sure Shot, isn't it? Uh, I I'm remembering it from Bare Naked Ladies Rap Medley. Ah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is itself from the Beastie Boys. Well, yes. Yeah. Could, could well. that one could be. Yeah. Well, folks, thank you for listening to the Beastie <laughs> yeah. Boys uh, uh, by way of BNL podcast. Um yeah, I, th- I think we're. Uh, I think we got it right. I mean, what, what else? Yeah. What else should we? Uh, anything else? Uh, 
No, that is from Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. It takes two. It takes two to make a thing go right. Yep. Because I get stupid. I mean outrageous. Okay. Uh, Yeah, okay. Anyway, never mind. (laughs) Chris, if I say it takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of sight. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Which is why this podcast is so much better with, with you. You are my DJ Easy Rock to my rub bass. Uh, you are the wind beneath my wings, John. You are my DJ Jazzy Jeff. Uh. <laughs> Let's wrap this. You know, please, please we, save we, me. You know, we, we lost everybody but the two of us listening about uh, twenty we, minutes ago. About now twenty I'm minutes ago. That's <laughs> yeah. All right, folks. You know where to find us: Facebook, uh, the internet. Uh, Brakiri Prime. Yeah. Um, you know, you keep you keep aggravating us, and uh, you know who knows who will haunt whom. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Absolutely. Okay. Bye. Bye.